Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. You were defeated, left for dead. All is ashes. Your heart stirs, your broken body numbing with the rage of retaliation. Hey folks, Brennan here. Thanks for tuning in to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you want to reach out or follow us, we're on Facebook and YouTube as 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch as 25 Years of VTM, and on our website at 25yearsofvtm.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, folks. Uh, welcome back to a 25 years, of course, Requiem, as uh, we've been kind of plugging along going through these, fellas. Um, I, of course, am accompanied with uh, by Brentron. Hey, everyone. And, of course, DJ. Hola. Cool. Um, today we're going over the Maquette Clan book, which, um, keeping in the same theme and style as the uh, the previous two, we have a series of, of essays compilation that is composing of a clan book. I got to tell you, though, I'm pretty negative about this, folks. I'm going to say this off the oh, bat. Yeah? yeah, I'm going to say it off the bat. I'm pretty negative about this book. Um, this is uh, this is where I see the the sort of meets the road. What's that term? Like the uh, the rubber progress. hits the road. Rubber hits the road, but not in that. There's another way to put it where it like comes to a dead stop for me in terms of like I've been enjoying the journey. The review's been going great. Everything's going on, and then I hit this and said, "Man, a lot of my old school like and love for for." different books that have come out and Old World of Darkness have collided heads on with all the prejudice that I've heard previously and this book didn't shake it from me and a lot mm. would have had to go on let me, mm. let me point out to some stuff real quick and you guys can counter I'm with this out right. because we're going to do this as therapy for Bob I know we do <laughs> reviews but we're going to make this a challenging review can we convince an old dog to do a new trick I've been called a critical bastard uh, by you, the gentleman gamer very lovingly said that because uh just, just because I was. I was literally being cheeky, called me out on it, and it stuck with me. It's something I said, you know, I wonder if maybe I am a little too critical. And then I said, that's just how I am. And I'm going to keep to my opinions because that's what that's what's unique about everybody. We all have it. However, when I was going through this book, typically you can find something that you really, really like about a book, and you focus on that, and all the positivity about it shines, and kind of you don't have to worry about it on the other end. Mm-hmm. However, what happened here was some key things in here I felt that were too... Um, I want to find the right thing to say, and I don't want to leave it to where it just sounds like I'm just being junky. And I, so I won't be junky. I'll just say it wasn't my cup of tea. Um, case mm-hmm. in point, there's a part in this book where they try to sell the idea of Sethites, and they call them yeah. Sethites. But beforehand, they call them with the cult of Seth, mm-hmm. and then they go out of their way to call them Sethites. And I'm sure that's probably historical accurate. Like maybe there were a Sethites to it. But they still have referenced Typhon and all that, and I felt, why is this even in this book? Like, you don't, if you were getting away from that old material, get away from the old material, but when you call it back like this, it's like you're trying to draw the old school clan following of the followers of said to this book as an alternative for Requiem. Left a bad mm-hmm. taste in my mouth. The other thing is, Clan Malkavian, the style this book is written in, and them in their essays, this was hard to follow. You're following someone named Francis. Who she's going through what I like to call a sort of sort of essay to herself about some things that are happening to her. I read this book three times. Three times going through this, and I sat here and I'm looking at Moa and I'm like, I'm trying real hard, hon. She goes, What's wrong? Like this book pisses me off every time I read it. <laughs> and she's like, What do you mean? They're trying real hard to tell a story about Francis, but when it's written from somebody who's going insane, I'm not insane. I, I'm not losing it, but I'm reading somebody who is, and I can't even really coherently follow what's going on to a level that makes it smooth to digest. But I get what they have in it. Like, I get that. It's supposed to make you feel that way because it's written very honest. And mm-hmm. to kind of explain it a little bit, Francis is the is the person you're reading about in here. And there's something going on that maybe you guys can clear up it feels like it's her sire put her up to this writing like write your experiences so i know what's going on but then sometimes it's francis and sometimes it's her mirrored self and sometimes it's her sire and then there's a part in this book where it's like this has all been her sire 
And I'm like, wait a second, is this is this Inception? Like, this is am I reading like an Inception written book? And I'm like, okay, all right, this is frustrating, but I get mm-hmm. it. When you go back and read Maquette as as their standalone from the main book and what they want to be with their weakness, there's some things you kind of go with. And off the bat, you rewind back whenever you find where you had a problem with it, and you have to work with it to move past it. I failed to meet the deadline. Right, we had two weeks to go over this book, and in the course of me going over it, I just. It, it was too much. My brain melted. And I was like, I can't do it. But I know you two guys are the Requiem experts and fans, but all I kept going is, do you remember when we reviewed the Malkavian clan book? That first dead clan book? And everyone like gave it tall shit about it having all the weird-ass writing and backwards mirror writing and the mirror reflection and the mirror was a focus and we had all that going on and crazy people and it was insensitive to crazy people and that's how it is. We shouldn't use the term crazy. You remember that stuff. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. Right now, honestly, when I saw that, okay, that book was really popular because when it came out, that's what it did, and it was popular. That's how I got. Actually, it's one of the books. Check this out, man. Some cool shit like this. That was cool back then, back in the day. Now, not so much for whatever reason. And uh, when I look at this maquette book, and I'm checking out, I'm like, there's still a lot of mirror talk that's mm-hmm. in here, and they they still use they still use this whole crazy madness mo- madness. Let me get it off crazy madness as a motif for what's going on, and claiming that it's vision based. But I'm sitting here going, you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna add polish to this. I'm gonna speak true, and I'm gonna speak honest by how I feel. I'm gonna let you guys set me straight. So talk about Francis for a bit. What is it that I'm really getting here or missing about Francis I need to be aware? If you need particular to help you guide a little bit, talk to me about a nightclub and her experience that got her there. Referring to the bathroom, they had the picture of it where a reflection first yelled at her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Francis, the I want to I want to focus more on like the the that interaction in the bathroom right because that that throws everyone for a loop like what is this like throughout all the stuff we've covered in vampire up to this point this is like a complete it's not a 180 it's like coming out of left field right with a a reflection that is seemingly sentient and on its own and that that is a uh at first like a um i see what you mean where it's uh it feels like there's a, a madness motif and i think it's supposed to be presented that way at first right but in this situation, she's in her, she's in the bathroom, and she was feeding, right? But when she walks by the mirror, we we've already talked about the stolen visage, but it's not really stolen. Yeah, vampires appear obscured in a mirror, but her image is crystal clear. It's absolutely there, and it acts independently. But what this um, this is, look at DJ God, real quick. Because DJ, I think your brain did exactly what I'm like. That's not what I read. And but it, you know, he's. This is the part about the maquette book that makes it interesting because it's all about the interpretation of what happens. If we were talking about madness, we know that requiem as a tradition, first edition, we attribute madness to the ventru, right? That's real why quick, madness, real quick, hmm. DJ, as you're explaining, I'm not saying you're wrong, Brentron, but there's like three different takes and three people who read it. Please continue, right. DJ. Right. right, so absolutely. like, so madness is attributed to the Ventru, right? Because with power comes madness, his delusions are grander, and that's what they were trying to push here. What I got from Francis, especially as you start going with it, to lead up to the bathroom scene, she starts talking about the experiences that she has with her prey that she's locking in on, right? When she was mortal at one point, she bumped into her, and her prey was like, who are you? Didn't even care. Any type of conversation they would have had at one point or another, it was dismissive. And it was almost as if she was invisible the entire time, even though she was physically there, right? This is why she's breathing. So, as all vampires at one point or another, they do have a preferred prey that they go after. In this case, Francis has decided this one, you know, woman that she encounters, that she has continuously encountered while she was mortal, was going to be her prey. During this entire thing, Francis is literally going through saying, well, I was invisible the entire time, and now I really am invisible. And as I'm watching you, I love messing around with you. Right? And I have to stress that because this is going to become important later on as we continue with this. But she's like, I love messing around with you because you didn't care then, and it's just fun to see what you do now. And now that I am invisible and I have this freedom to do it, I'm able to, to proceed with it. We get to the point where this bathroom stall scene where, you know, this lady goes, she excuses herself to the restroom, and Francis goes and goes, this is the perfect time for me to feed. 
and nommy nommy nom that she enters mm-hmm. the bathroom stalls and starts feeding on her. But it's interesting in the way that they describe how she feeds on her. Most most of the ones that we've seen in terms of feeding, in terms of the current vampire books, have a passion that's already instilled in them. For her, it's an afterthought. She just fed to the point where she just was like, whoops. You're going to hear that a lot. Like, whoops. Like, it just was an afterthought that she just drained her victim dry. And then she kind of just props the body in the bathroom stall to kind of make it look halfway there. And then that's when she encounters her mirror self. And the mirror self just looks at her. And one of the things that is really brought up in there is that she is aware that as a vampire, she's told we shouldn't be able to see each other. And so it just draws her to a, dis- like, she's like, wait a second. I'm looking at this mirror. It looks exactly like me with a couple of distinguishing features. One, its attitude towards me is completely cold. Two, its skin is a little bit more straught. And then it makes you wonder, like, okay, is she looking at her beast? We'll hold off on that in a bit. But that sets up the stage for what they're looking at. But I don't think it was madness, and especially because of how they described what she was going through. I think, you know, one of the things that was that we're touching base on is, you're right, it's very emotional. But I think it's very withdrawn. Mm. Here's here's the thing I want to have, because I want Brennan trying to finish it, because I think he's I'd had a strong point as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually give you a chance to restate, Brennan, maybe some things are different. Um, my perspective on the DJ is close to that. The, the difference is, is that there were distinctive points where more or less, like, for whatever reason, I believe his name's Doe, if I, if I said it right before. No, yeah, yep. it is um, Doe. That's right. Is, is shocked she saw a reflection at all, first off. Mm-hmm. And it mentioned she doesn't even have a shadow. So, and there's even a part in here where she's not even certain when she looks at that mirror that her hair was ever that straight or that together. Or disheveled, I think it was. It was one of the two. Mm-hmm. Right. Highlighting that she never saw it. This, to me, was Shades of the Lysambra clan. The maquette were always through the Kaibot Right, Bloodline, we're like, that's the Lysambra Thorn, which is why we got it so soon. It was like mm-hmm. a blatant sales point for Requiem at the time. And I remember that because that's how I got turned on to this book. But their flaw was, again, like I told you, you can't even seem like madness here because you're going to lose me in it. Because mm-hmm. it's got to be real. Well, I'm aware that that reflection means something. Because in the book they pointed out there that it is something that is separate. Here's the delivery and where it loses me. And here's what I'm going to describe to you. Whenever you are playing with duality, and it deals with a mirror, and it deals with a reflection, it loses taste. It just just doesn't taste right. It's not a good meal for the psyche, for me, for my... I'm not going to say intellect, but like my brain, my imagination doesn't Mm -hmm. like it when it's actually something that is not you. Right? Like somehow, you're you're not a vampire when you cease to have commonality in the middle. Like, we may not agree there, but that's always been my perspective. There's some key things that make you like everyone else. And they start breaking this down that this isn't the case with a maquette. Number one, when when your reflection can have a life of its own and it's completely different, mm-hmm. all right, if you would have kept it that your shadow has a life of its own, thumbs up. We get that. There's been a horror movie that had it or two in it. We get the idea of why your shadow might do that. I'm okay. It takes your reflection. Oh, that's pretty cool. Why? Because you're grounded in the tradition of the vampire myth. That, that people have commonly read about. That's okay to do. However, not bad to do it this way. This is definitely unique. But when your reflection gets to run off and kind of like, have a life of its own, what am I What am I now? Like, and, and what makes your reflection unique and nobody else's? And let's add to the fact that, all right, cool. Now that she's here and you describe her choosing this victim, she basically uses comments like she's the devil wears Prada rich woman. That she always want to feast on, and like there's this <laughs> vengeance and anger she has. Cool talk, you know. You're a vampire, and you're getting in the mojo to go feeding, and nobody can see you because you're in that that hidden world of you know basically stealth and awesome obfuscate, and then, which which is the feel of it, although it's not called that exactly. Um, point is, she's hidden, and they're talking about that the cool aspect they could focus on that when you are hidden like that, if you look at the Invisible Man, where, which is where this comes from, that horror mm. iconic story. When nobody can see you, who holds you responsible for what you do? Mm-hmm. Right? You devolve. You're not even human anymore when you have that power, that freedom to get away with it. That's the terror of it. And here we have an opportunity where they actually talk about it again. Something Requiem does well. Man, I, you know, the Nosferatu have a take on it. Mm-hmm. And, and But they have fear to back that up, or they almost they are addicted to it. Here's the maquette, and they're addicted to it, too. Talks about how they just sit and stare. And this book is filled with imagery of a maquette sitting in a room watching the living but not even moving like stuck in a trance which to me madness why are you there staring at them creepily for no reason right and in this case with her she she did this a bit right she didn't know how long she was in that room after she fed 
and people came nearly dawn, right? She talks about it because right. her image is just running its mouth. However, that's maddening to me. That that is that is that not madness? Because you're sitting there looking at it like she's coming apart here, and why? If this is something that's shocking to her, okay, go tell your sire and tell me that story. But she's stuck here and what's going on. But it's how she described her hunger frenzy. We're not normal. We're not like other vampires. When we lose it, a cold logic enters us. Emotion bleeds away. It's completely gone. And we move basically flicker and flash. And we're a well-oiled machine as we unconsciously lock the bathroom stall door. And we feed in our victim. And we make sure the feet are invisible down below. And nobody can see us as I slowly drain her to death. And then I let her hit the floor. And then I just stare at the mirror as nobody can see me. And action happens all around. And I sat here and went, you're not describing loss of control. What you're describing is an emotional break. Mm -hmm. That's what you're describing. Hungry as you might have been, it's an emotional break. You had the wherewithal to lock the stall door and to make sure that everything was, was all copacetic. This is weird to me. And why is it different? Any other clan, when they frenzy, you fucking know it. Mm. Yeah, there, there's no like locking the door. There's no keeping that hidden. There's growls. There's blood. There's uh, limbs probably thrown about. I could see that certainly with the gang roll, probably even the deva, just like sheer strength ripping it apart. I, I do see what they were going for, though. I think um, with this, that that description was to was really to say that every clan does thing behaves differently. The beasts of every clan are a little bit different. Um, and how they operate, whereas, like, uh, if you were to take that approach of, like, Ventru, they'd be more, uh, they'd be more commanding, right? More dominating rather than just feral animals. But what you're doing Which, is you're adding an explanation never given. Right. That is, that is, like, my inference of it. But to sum all that up, I don't, I, I still don't really see the, the beast as being like that. I can see it going in certain directions, right? The beast using the powers it has, like even uh, obfuscate, certainly uh, its ability to move quickly without people seeing it, right? In a frenzy, that makes sense. But uh, when you start adding the, the cold logic aspects to it, that doesn't sound like a, that's uh, the antithesis of, of frenzy to me. It, and I... So, and I'm not trying to argue to agree. What I'm pointing right. at is that's where it gets difficult because you're like, I want to mm -hmm. go with you, but it seems un... I guess the term isn't unfair. It seems alien and different to the point is that I want to push them out of vampire and you're an other. Mm -hmm. and, and, the, and this is my evidence of it, that if you're an right. other, I get it that you have this weird Klingon Spock frenzy when you got mm -hmm. it going on because your, your, your beast, your ego takes care of itself. But this is more psychological than it is actual but up to this point in in any edition especially even requiem they've hammered home we took an in-depth look at the gangrel clan book where they describe what the beast is and how people mm -hmm. have it wrong even the gangrel do you remember what they said about the beast uh i don't i'm i'm, I'm blanking on, on no, a phrase no problem it's okay but it, maybe this will jog your memory they said the beast is not this this rip-roaring animal need to pounce on your prey and tear them apart and run around knuckle-dragging and keeping prey in your mouth and running out of the room howling like a lunatic. That is not the beast. That's not the beast at all. And it's 100% true. The beast is you absent any morality or any impulse or resistance to do whatever it is you want to do. Mm -hmm. It is Jekyll and Hyde is what they're talking about. They are talking about that point inside each and every one of us that when we let go, and just stop worrying about the consequences of our actions and don't even have it a thought. Every action we can do can be completely brutal and raw and over the top. And our mind, by letting go, doesn't want to recall or look back or reflect on what we did. Which is why you have a memory issue when you come out of it. Because suddenly, when the morality comes back, the guilt comes back, right? Mm -hmm. And when the guilt comes back, it's hard to look at something you have remorse for. Case in point, everyone right now can do this. Have you ever been so angry that you lashed out and did something you regretted? Oh, yeah. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? I've punched through a closet door before, had to pay $275, all because, and this will crack you up, I ate something I shouldn't have, got late running out of the bathroom because I had to stop and take care of that so I could run out the door and go to an important meeting I had for work, and was late and had to say it and was embarrassed by it. And when I went to get my jacket, it got stuck. And because it got stuck, I lashed out and punched yeah. through it 
to rip my jacket out of the freaking thing and t- tore off. Now, if you got roommates, how do you explain that when you get home? Right? Uh-huh. You got to take care of that. And I said to him, oh, man. But that's an example of what I say when it's like when, when the beast is, has you. It doesn't have to make sense. And when it has you, those impulses are done and gone. But you have to deal with the consequences. And with that guilt there, oh, it sucks. It's always like ten times worse than if you would just relax. And, you know, woo-saw later and lots of meditation, you figure it out. But back here to Francis, I'm like, when we think of the beast and what we delivered it as a gang girl from that explanation... We got why little Alice was running around and her de-evolution to the red, the red surrender, right? Mm-hmm. She's just giving herself up to that because it was easier to be this animal, uh, uh, this animal state of mind so that she didn't have guilt for what she hungered for. And she went out to do it. The maquette have no ability to do that, but yet they describe a version of it here. And I'm wondering, because I combed this book. This is where I sat here and went, there's got to be something somewhere describing how the maquette have like a mat do they call it the shadow state is this the is this the is this, is this the vaunted kybid state of ka ba and and something else that they, they you know the separation the reflection is how mm-hmm. they deal with what they do and i'm like no it's actually a unique set of circumstances it is because there's a couple of things that give away what ends up happening when she talks about when she frenzies not only does she talk about the mechanical sense and how she acts but the biggest takeaway was every time she and we hear this in the other vampire you know the other requiem books as well about how they feel when they get out of frenzy we've described loss of control the lack of remorse or the remorse itself she describes her frenzy as a mecca being that every single time she comes out of it she's not sure how much of their identity is stripped away when they do so because it's a loss of control it's a loss of self right and that and she keeps making references to her just becoming a doll because she's just watching, creepily watching, and it's the loss of identity that just continues to strip it. And the way that it's written makes you think that. And they are, that's, you know, just breaking out there. They're unique in that factor because up until this moment in time, we've always spoken about when you get embraced, you remain in a static state of what you were when you were created. And every morning, or rather every evening you wake up, that fuzz on your face, those scars that were there are gonna be there. But interestingly enough, for the maquette, they talk about their background. Where back in the day when we used to grab you, number one, they're not instant embraces. We let you rot for a while, if at all. Sometimes mm-hmm. when we were looking at you and we were embracing you back in old Egypt, we scooped your brains out. But yet when we embrace you, you're whole again. But are you whole or are you a doll or a shell of yourself? So they keep talking about this hollowness that exists within the maquette. And that, I think, was the angle that they were going for there to kind of continue down the route of your beast is absent you are absent what was on you is absent the only thing that is here is the shell the physical shell of yourself because if they scooped your brains out and they embraced you any other clan i would assume is just like well you got yourself a brain dead vampire but for some reason it works out for the maquette okay we we just figured out i I could just share this with you i figured out what my problem is Mm. i don't believe in excuse role play I don't believe it. I believe in owning why you did what you did, and you're able to own it. And it seems to uh-huh. me, based on what you said, this is actually excuse roleplay. What this is saying is that the maquette can do something they didn't mean to, and they're a victim of their own action. They're a victim of their self. And the reason why I'm against it, it's not realistic. Right? Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds weird, but understand how a lot of this gets broken down. Um, I, I told you I'm a fan of true crime. This is probably where it comes from, is that when you hear about somebody killing and they get caught and they talk about it, they can't even admit in the retelling. Like, the most famous is, is Ted Bundy. And when I won't get into that other than to say, they tell you off the bat that the bastard wouldn't even fully admit it. He had to pretend that he was talking about what this guy might have been who actually did the killing. Mm-hmm. And what state of mind he might have been in. And, you know, but he knew all the details because, of course, he did it. But that's the only way he would ever say that to somebody. And I was like, that's disturbing. But you know, and everyone knew, he was aware he did it. And he was mm-hmm. aware he was even caught. And he was practically bragging about it. And I sat here and said, okay, now when we play games like Vampire, and personally what, what this was to me, Francis, she's someone who was victimized? Question mark. Into being what she is? Because later on, and, and I suppose, well actually I'll say it now because I really want Brennan to take a bit here and kind of go through this. Um, but the point is there's a part where she talks about being, or I believe it is, uh, I keep forgetting his name, and I said don't. He talks, John Doe. He talks about her being buried, mm-hmm. right? And that her ghost haunted the graveyard for a while, even during the day. And it was going around convincing people to stick around so that she could feed later. Mm-hmm. And, and it did that, but the feeding was the different or how. And they make that 
crazy. Like, did she wake up when she was buried at night and feeding the people who were still there? Somehow the people were able to see her reflection and reflection convinced them to be there? Is that what happened? And what are you saying? But then sometimes, I believe it even said that Doe was in the ground once or Mm -hmm. twice or something like that before he chose to embrace her. Like, the reflection was taking credit for drawing her into this in the first place, but it's Mm -hmm. Doe who put the reflection up to doing it. And I said, this would be brilliant if it's what I think it is, and I'll say it now, that Doe is talking about himself. That Doe, this is really an elaborate scheme. Doe is really Francis. So can I let, let me elaborate on on Doe a little bit for for our listeners because there's there's a bit about Doe that um, will really kind of throw your head for a loop at first until we, we we go through this and explain it a bit more. So John Doe, or really just Doe, is kind of unique because no one knows who or what Doe is, right? Not even Francis Doe's chilled. When you look at Doe, right? It's like me looking at Bob right now, like all right, that's a person, all that. But when you look away, it's like you can no longer tell how tall is Bob. What does Bob look like? Is Bob even like a man or a woman? Right? All those details flow through your mind, right? Almost like a, a weird use of obfuscate. That's something that that uh, has permeated Doe. Now, add that to the fact that you can no longer see your own reflection, right? You can't hear your own echo anymore. You don't even know what your shadow looks like, so you can't tell all the 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 troubles of keeping what identity you have now that you're an undead living thing are now like you know tripled because now you have no basis for everything so it could very well be that francis black is actually doe trying to get some kind of identity going and that's how he copes in his requiem right Uh, But to take that another step further, we keep seeing all these things about uh, reflections. And reflections are the biggest thing, right? Because they're visual. People in general are visual things, so that's the easiest. But it's not just that. Phone calls coming up, right? And Because Francis can't speak on the telephone. Right. Whenever Francis comes up with a a voice recorder, it's one-sided interviews. Because Francis, while talking, her voice doesn't show up on the recorder. Because her caw and her ba, and I can never remember which one is which, right? One is the body, one is like the, the soul or the spirit, are separated. They're no longer the same. Uh, some, some ancient uh, maquette ritual that while they don't really have the concrete history anymore, they at least have some of their cultural practices, and this is an extreme one. Um. <clears throat> But to take that, um, anyway, to continue with that, they're not buddy-buddy, right? The ka right. and the ba. The the reflection is doesn't get to go off and have its own life. Because I also had that, that same thought when I was first reading this. It's like, this this sounds awesome. Like, they, it can go do whatever it wants, and, like, it's not, it's not out in the physical world. What repercussions could it have? Because it's still tied to the body in some way. Right, it can't exist far away from it. So now let's let's take a, a step to the other side of the mirror. Right, try to vision it from like Francis's reflection side. Yep, it can't do anything. It can only watch. It is that doll. However, it can be observed. So all these things that it's seeing Francis or John Doe do. All it can do is be jealous and wish it could interact or do something or feel something. And in this entire um, uh, interaction, there's nothing but, like, contempt from it. Please, no, continue, Brennan. Sorry, he paused, folks, because of me. I'm rolling my eyes. It's not you at all. Oh, uh, okay. Please all continue. Right. It's, it's what I... Can, did, can, do you mind if I say what's really bothering uh, absolutely. me? Absolutely. Go ahead. Okay, so what it is is that if you have ever story told a live-action game, and this is old-school World of War Dark Lark, and you sit there and mm-hmm. hear a Malkavian player try to justify why they just stole an hour and a half time raving like a lunatic and calling it their derangement, and you're staring at their sheet and their derangement is manic depressive, and their idea of that is to be a raving lunatic howling forever, and it's really an attention ploy, and they did all that, but you got to be sensitive to the person playing the character. Why you're rolling your eyes, or why I was rolling my eyes, because I sat there and I felt it all click into place right when you said it. I think it's exactly as you said it, Brennan. Makes perfect sense. But then I sat there and said, great, so Maquette is somebody who gets to, again, uh, draw more attention to them because now they want to play with their their reflection in the corner that doesn't relate to anybody else and can't affect anybody else but them. 
So the player of the maquette gets to have these side mm. scenes where they're basically playing Uno with the storyteller while everybody else is paused waiting for, you know, can we can we do that later? Can you journal that and get back to us, folks? Because I really have no interest to watch you play with your own derangement until it comes back to it. And that's, I told you, I said this at the beginning, we're working through some shit with me here. So I'm going to uh-huh. be brutal right, honest right, with right. people. I'll take all the hate that people got, <laughs> but I'm trying to find the love here. And that you kind of cleared it up. But that's because there is a coherent part I love about this book. I, I This book is not my favorite. However, mm-hmm. there is a part it sings for me, and we'll get to that. But please continue, Brennan. Uh, so, with that, to actually, to, to go with that, to take that from like an OOC perspective, as like a storyteller and even as a player, right, if I'm playing a maquette that is hollowed or is trying to get that is the part of their personal story that is not uh there's a lot of cool benefits showing up with that right i no longer even have to worry about showing up obscured on cameras or all this stuff you ain't never going to get me on recording but i've now set up a a almost permanent antagonist that i'm honestly not even sure how i could freaking deal with because it's not just something that they can only interact with like yeah it's probably going to be harassing me but let's say i'm in a coterie with like uh, bobby the bruja and uh dj dj the deva and then all of a sudden, I don't know, DJ keeps getting, like, crank calls from me. Or I'm talking about, like, you know, his touchstone. Because my reflection was following him around, watching him interact with, like, his daughter. And like, oh, hey, that's a nice daughter you got there. It'd be a shame if something happens to her. And then DJ just starts gunning for me, and I have no idea what's happening. Right? That's kind of like an extreme situation. And I bring that up because I think that would help uh, address what you were just talking about. It's no longer like a solo thing for this one player to go off to the side because it's not fun. We're not sitting in a room together around a table for like one-shot things for each individual person. That does bring it all together. Can I, can I share something funny real quick too uh, to uh-huh. bring up with that? Because I think it's going to hammer it home. And yes, I'm being that guy. But uh, I'm your captive audience for this, by the way. I'm just saying. Uh, but in, in, in this regard, like, I'm dealing with a situation where I'm like, going, okay, you just said how I could use that, but I'm still fighting for a simple fact of why would I as a vampire give a shit that you're, you prank call me, right? So now you're giving me a phone call that's being annoying, but it's still just more attention for you, is uh, really what it is. It's just driving okay. home, but, but to what purpose? If I could just put a stake through you, does that stop the prank calls? No, it doesn't, right? Mm-mm. And if it doesn't stop it, why don't I just roll you in the incinerator then? I'm that person where it's like, if I'm in your coterie and you are that insane that your problems spill over and I tell you, it says, hey, can I trust you? You said, absolutely, but there there might be something you can't trust and I can't do anything about. Like what? <laughs> if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. <laughs> oh yeah? I'm Bobby Bruja. I believe a lot. You would you would be shocked. I, you know what? I'm so, I'm so friendly and make you sick. What is the problem? My reflection might call you or tell your enemies about all your secrets you're telling me, so maybe you shouldn't. And I'm sitting here going... That might be fun for some people, but you just told me. I can't bring you in, right? You're just, you're always Mm going to be any out if we're not safe for whatever reason. And where that's interesting, and I could see some humor in it. And it is humorous, but I'm like going, okay, all right. Well, I'm going to log that in the Twilight Zone. Like some players (laughs) like having something really weird happen to them. And that's just going to have to be that. It's... So, my take on it is the following. One, obviously from the maquette characters that we've seen from, like, Loki. Like, if Loki had a reflection, you know, Maxwell would have put his ass in the ground long as not. Solomon would have beat him into... I'm just saying, so I don't think it's every maquette, right? Because you have to think right, about no. that. At one point, they ain't going to tolerate it. You yourself as a player wouldn't tolerate it. And where it would work in a race game and perhaps for certain aspects of it. I think that the reflection, they give you an out later, we'll talk about how it may or may not be a merit for you, but I think this is a unique thing to Francis because every other maquette didn't see their reflection, and when Francis was quote-unquote created for a purpose, and that's why Doe was even surprised that she even saw her own reflection, I think it's there to to help the narrative along. If you think it's there for that, DJ, then, then address this too, because I said... If I get on this podcast, I swear to God, if I get on this podcast and someone tells me <laughs> it's unique to Francis, why the hell is it in the clan book? If it's unique yeah. to her, why doesn't it affect the maquette? I'm here to learn about maquette. I'm reading about maquette. It needs to be about maquette. Oh, no. It's only about Francis. Well, guess what, folks? If I'm buying your book for entertainment, it's called a clan book. I want to learn how to be this clan and what they got to face. The gang girl held to it. Right? There's a lot that happened to her that was like put through the ringer that made you feel all gang growing have something 
like this. Expect it. Well, um, the venture had something similar, or excuse me, the Dave had something similar, mm-hmm. and you know that that's that's how it went down. And you got that I'm gonna deal with the siren shit and rent the figure. Okay, but I'm reading this, and only Francis is gonna have to deal with her weird self playing tag. Oh, and how about this shittiness? Calling her mom and being a complete abject bitch. You know, worried about her daughter and leaving it at that, and being being hellishly evil about it, and then hanging up. And I said to myself, okay. Great writing is great writing. And this is entertaining because this gave me something to talk about. But when you said right there, it's only Francis, what do you what do you what do you think about that? So what I think about it is I guess just to circle about the things of Francis, because this is as we're jumping around, folks, you have to follow us because this is a crazy book, right? So when we talk about what Francis did, she eventually she does confront her shadow. She does get a moment where another maquette is able to afford her the opportunity to speak to her reflection and they talk about it. And she talks to her reflection, she's like, Why did you do that to my mom? She goes like, because I hate you. Uh, I don't want you to be happy. Why would I ever want you to be happy? But it's like, what did I ever do to you? It's not what you did to me. It's just in my nature to do it. I thought it up. I felt it. I did it. And she's like, but wait. Then they have a dialogue, right? And the most important part of the dialogue that caught me was like, you're not me. And she's like, that's impossible because every single time we talk about you being my reflection, you know, the, the, the reflection speaking to Francis, she's like, you keep referring to me as part of you or that I'm part of you. So if I'm shitty, don't you think you're shitty too? And this harkens back to the story in the stall where she plays around with her prey. When we talk about the story, when she took an entire dorm room of females and played house with them. But she never thought it was her, but yet she's upset at her reflection for acting the way it is. And the reflection, I thought that was the best line she could ever give. How could you get upset at me for acting the way I do when I'm only part of you and I am you? Are you not seeing the correlation between each other? And that, for me, I was like, huh, interesting. When I, as a sort of a segue to think about it, why reflections are so terrifying, um, there is um, a point, I was trying to find this again, I first learned about the mirror and the fear of mirrors and, and, and whatnot mm-hmm. when it came from looking in Victorian era uh, stories about duality, Jekyll and Hyde, I just mentioned mm-hmm. it here for that reason, and uh, Mary Shelley did, did, did some writings off and on, Byron definitely did, but that's been used so much in terms of duality that, and the fear of twins, that's really where it comes from. Is that your twin self is bad? Well, when you get to reflections, it's like whenever you stare at a reflection, I don't know if you did this, but whenever I learned that, you know, I heard the phrase Native Americans don't want their picture taken because they believe you steal their soul. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I've it, heard that about Native Americans and the Amish, yeah. Everyone's heard that everywhere, right? It's something that's gone around. It's like, okay, well, that's silly. Well, there was another thing. There was a, a lore that I learned down in Arkansas that says if you stare at your reflection too long, it'll move. <laughs> if you stare into your eyes and don't move and you're there long enough, your reflection will move. And when it does, you're left to wonder why it's smiling. Now, I'm going to bring something up to you. It's going to freak you out. You can do this. You will see your reflection smile at the corner of your eye. It's going to happen. However, there's uh, there's some writing I learned to this as to why, why it happens. It's it's after images. It's, it's something your mind does that long enough sitting still, not moving, staring at something, and your eyes will mm-hmm. look huge. They'll look black at a point, depending yeah. on how dark they are or how well it, it's going to happen. You got to be pretty close to the mirror, too. You can't be like 10 feet away doing it. They want you up close to where you get a portrait view. And if you do that, it's something that will happen. It's going to look like you could see a crease on the face of your reflection at the corner of your eye. And mm-hmm. it describes it as being shadow play. It's a trick of the eye. It's because you're staring at your reflection too long get up and move mm-hmm. it's like your mind's so bored it's trying to get you to do something else or that you'll see your reflection move but there are people who truly have a mental and emotional break who had done this which is uh one of the things that it warns against is that people you shouldn't do this right it's a party trick this is like up there we're going bloody mary five times in the mirror yep. right and you're staring at it and you can yep. psych yourself out and i was like okay haven't done it recently when i was a kid and keyed up keyed up and really bothered by a. Uh, not doing experience like this, I did it and thought I saw myself smile. Thought it was really cool, and I wrote a short story about it. Real imaginative thing to do that that's fun. And then I get this. I get why it's in this book. I'm saying this because I'm trying to bear heart to everybody to go. I get mm-hmm. why this is cool. Please bear with when I say, if it's not something that's whole to every maquette, do you not feel that people miss out on it? Yes. Hmm. Right, because what I heard yeah. you guys say already out of both of you, which I think is very cool and stuff that I didn't get immediately, is that you've given hardcore groundwork as to why, okay, they don't call it the beast, but they can call it the reflective self. 
it's not them doing it and where i said you know uh, basically victim play so to speak it's not me i have excuse play is it really because what you're saying is this this discussion with her reflection is actually revealing what a shithead she is and she can't deal with it yeah right uh, if i the i think the one of the biggest reasons that uh, everyone, well, Doe was surprised that Francis saw her reflection, and the reason why Francis had that interaction with Francis is because they're they're two halves of the same person. That's unique to each person. So Doe's reflection probably wouldn't be, might not be that antagonistic. But throughout this book, as we're reading about her, because she she was a person that was like invisible in life, right? She didn't have a lot of social connections. Uh, you know, you know, it's it's like freaking taxi driver, right? That whole that whole movie was about yeah. being in like one of the largest mo- um, cities in the world, Great but he was out. invisible. He was just uh, going through, right? It's like if he got embraced, he he would be like in the in the maquette clan because he fits that like right in there with their with their uh, stereotypes and what they do. And so this interaction is really one because she was self-loathing in life, and now that there's two of them, that's the the interaction that's playing out between the two. So. Uh, it could be that uh, uh, John Doe or some of the other maquette we see in this in this book uh, might be like uh, just n- neutral. Just each person, like the the Ka and the Ba, just like ships in the night, going and doing their own thing. Or maybe they're actually more uh, uh, in sync. Maybe there's some relationship that's there because they already. Francis does talk about a deal with her reflection later on right there is some common ground that could be met there after all they are the same person somewhere along the line they're going to have something that they that they can work with or move towards so i think the the interaction is more just it her having the reflection and interacting with it isn't unique but her interaction with it is unique if that makes sense it does right and I think to, to also note to it is, like, there are other maquette that are spoken about. The reason why we're focusing on Francis is because, obviously, she's our narrator, and she's the one that's leading us to do it. And I would have to think that the authors wrote her in such a way so that we could see how every maquette is unique, but specifically because of the dialogue she has with it. Every maquette that we've met so far, and I, I think my favorite out of the book, and I think my favorite NPC, unfortunately, it's not the Unholy, but it's actually Elizabethan, right? Just, like, her imagery mm-hmm. alone is great, and she is a maquette who we assume she was embraced during the Roman times. In fact, it's almost guaranteed she was embraced during the Roman times, where she comes from the Morbus, where she's em- she em- embraces the Morbus bloodline, which is a bloodline of Maquette who bring plagues. And we've spoken about this in Requiem for Rome. And we believe that the uh, person who had kept the Lantea alive, up and running, who was a Morbus, at one point gets hunted down, he was her sire. And what her story is, to go very briefly about it, she was just a girl who couldn't help but sin. She was lustful in her own ways, and she loved the attention of getting flagellated, beat. Um, and so long as she was able to draw that attention, she found comfort within her. She felt that she was being witnessed uh, because she had that attention drawn to her. Up until the moment that she survived plagues. As a human, survived plagues. They, they thought they would have wiped her out? Nope, gone. What was the next thing that happened? No, Somehow she mysteriously survived that too. Okay. And then she was visited by her sire. And for three nights, they had a conversation. Later on in the story, it's going to tell you that her sire listened to her knew that she was still found wanting, and then had gouged her eyes out with his hands, just like straight out plunged his thumbs right into her eyes, and she just passed out, and he left her dead for three days. He came back to her when the maggots were still feeding on her eyes and embraced her. And even until now, as she wears her shawl, her eyes are just continuously regenerating, being eaten by maggots. But she's just dressed in the shawl. She acts as a nun, a beautiful, alluring body to draw people, but she's empty, and she's always seeking something, and she's still looking for that attention somehow. What's weird, though, <coughs> pardon me, she has a story in here where they talk about the mother of eyes, mm. which it sounds like exactly what you're talking about, that it wasn't that wasn't unique to her, because they talk about seeing the mother of eyes only in a dream, I believe it was Francis who saw her, she had maggots in her eyes. Why that's unique is because typically it's just a shawl and she's faceless. Mm-hmm. But now she has these eyes and so she made an effigy of her in her room, where she, and this is why I said Francis is insane. She made an effigy where she cut out all the eyes of these popular Hollywood starlets and mm-hmm. she hung them as a mobile in her room, but each eyelid had an actual camera lens to mm-hmm. represent this creature she thought she saw 
that uh, that was her came to her. She got turned into. I forget it, but it had like fleshy skin and eyeballs everywhere. But they were all like camera a spider. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so I'm no psychologist, but I don't think the writers were either. And I think what they're trying to drive <laughs> home is the fact that Francis felt she was turning into. She's trying to rationalize her monstrous half. Mm-hmm. Is what I felt it was, and how she just stares at her victims before she kills them. There is an actual picture in here where it shows Francis sitting in a room full of women having girls' night, kind of chilling, la- laughing, having fun in the living room, and they're all full of life doing her thing, but she's gray, looking like Wednesday Adams, just sitting in the room, but she's just staring. Like, no emotion, just staring. And it goes back to what Brennan said, that it seems that she was invisible her whole life, and that's the role she's taken. But now I'm wondering, is that her reflection in control? But is her reflection ever in control? Is the question, or is that just her? In like you know, instead of resting bitch face, she is resting reflection face. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, call it what you will. But the point is, and where I think this book wins, they never intended for you to a thousand percent get the maquette. I don't right. think that was the goal. I'm now feeling that, and I feel a little silly, mm-hmm. but not really, man. You could be clearer than you know. Great job, artistic, blah blah blah. But you can lose a point, yeah. in my mm-hmm. opinion. And I think this did that. But the the effect is, though, the more you dig with it and the more you talk to people who have it, you begin to see, oh, okay. All right, I wasn't getting that. Different viewpoints do help. And uh, and that's for everybody to know. But the point is, when you see it in that light and you're like, oh, okay, so this is somebody falling down. I like that you mentioned Taxi Driver, right? Or mm-hmm. the, the, the movie, right? It's it's important to note, well, he wasn't sane <laughs> for doing what he yeah. did. He was obsessed. But we're talking about obsession now at this point yes. and if her job is jealousy and obsessed and what you do doing it well if you can't be seen we're back to the invisible man which I think is the point of the book now and yes. I'm seeing that yes. mm-hmm. because I told uh, go ahead sorry I saw I saw, I saw, I, saw uh, I thought DJ had a point right through so yes yes uh, I'll, wait, I'll wait I'll wait for you because uh, actually you know what I'll cut in because I'm excited about it and the reason why I want to put this out there is one of the unique things that is um available to the maquette is Auspex, right? And mm-hmm. we are, you know, and in Requiem, it's it's their signature discipline. But this ties into Francis once again being the vehicle because she continuously sees. And one of the biggest things that maquette always talk about and to kind of tie it together, and this is my perspective of it, is they are so empty inside that they, because, and we, I keep hearing Bob in my head saying, come with an empty cup, they're hollowed out. They don't have those, that, that sense of self to to, to ground them or feel like they're looking inwards, they have to look outwards because they have to draw as much attention to themselves. Up to and including when she was even gifted a boyfriend. They gave her a boyfriend because they liked her, so okay. But once again, she's just a horrible person that even when she stayed with him, she kept giving him blood and then she was like, well, now I can't have a conversation with him because he's just going to agree to everything <laughs> I do. Well, I just can't have a conversation with him. Uh, whoops, is the base. Whoops, I'm sorry I did that to you. Like, you're like they're so they're just a shell and it, it ruins it and I, I say it ruins it in a very poetic but beautiful way but it ruins it and anything she touches she ruins anything I think a mechette is looking for as well so hollow that all they could do is look outward to draw it in and unlike a deva who does it out of a passion to take in as much of that, that life force as possible there's this like Bob was saying there's a jealousy that's in there like the absence that has to the avoid and it makes me wonder if we could talk about the abyss at some point or if it tries to relate it but as of now I, I just feel like a <laughs> void has to be filled in well we could talk about the abyss right after this cool artwork I'm about to mention because it tells a story right I told you the number one thing I liked about this book is the story of Akhenaten mm-hmm. or Amenhotep I said this is the maquette to me and this is how they're going to exist in a requiem that I play because it makes perfect sense it's an origin story I'd rather enjoy and what they're talking about is that apparently in ancient Egypt there was two cults. One called Cult mm-hmm. of the Phoenix and one called the Cult of Set. And there was a guy at this time, a pharaoh by the name of Amenhotep. And he's the son of Amenhotep. And and that's and that's kind of fun, right? And uh, what's great about this is is that he didn't like gods. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but he, he, he just didn't like them. And uh, he was like, okay, cool. We have these two cults and one rules during the night and one rules during the day and they're kind of battling for stuff. I don't care. I want them gone. And so there's a there's this type of order that he throws out there, right? And basically, with this order, he decides that he's going to have uh, a series of. Are you okay, Bertrand? Yeah, I'm good. 
Okay, I saw you keep looking left or right. Do you hear what I'm hearing as why? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> okay, it's okay. I think it's done. It might have been internet okay. hiccup. It's possible. But uh, basically what happens is is that the Pharaoh learns about these guys and says, guess what? I don't uh, I don't want them around anymore. We're done with that. My God's going to be the only one worshipped, and it's none of those things. So how about you go down there and start killing these people? Or you know what? Don't kill them. Why don't you bring me their daughter? And we're going to get this started right. So basically, let me find that passage exactly. I did mark it. Um, it says he did not honor the gods of the Twin Kingdoms, nor did he honor the palace uh, of his father, nor even did he honor the holy city of Thebes. However, because of this, he had certain plans that he wanted to do, and so he went and uh, he took a daughter of uh, one of the two... Oh yeah, I shall also explain. Akhenaten had another purpose uh, in the destruction of these two cults. He had a... He was a witch. Flat out, he mm-hmm. was a witch. And he constantly, witch king. Yes, a witch king, and he consorted with demons and spirits. He gave the daughter of the high priest uh, to a crawling thing from outside. That's what it said. Right, or sorry, from outside day was specific. Mm-hmm. I think it was outside mm-hmm. of Ra is what it was meaning, that it existed outside of even Ra's great power. And because of that, there's a cool photo that it shows in here. It shows a high priest standing up overhead, which I assume is, is Akenhotep, and um, mm-hmm. Akhenaten, excuse me. And there is that priestess down below. She has this swirling belly thing going on, and she's mm-hmm. bare-chested. And the swirling belly is because he hollowed them out. He didn't mm-hmm. just do it to her. He did it to both cults. He did it to all of them, as if to explain, he spread the seeds of Maquette. This is how he did it. And every inside every one of them is something from outside the world. He brought it in and planted it in them. That's what they have. And anyone embraced ever after was cursed with this. Now, he didn't just stop there. He took the flesh of the priests of both these cults and made an example. And he made like these pillars of pure flesh that he raised up in the name of this god. Bloody hands and all kind of shows that. And I sat there and said to myself, I get that Bob's pretty extreme when it comes to what he likes. I mean, I literally said to the to myself, like, you going to mention this? I said, fuck, yeah, I'm mentioning this. It's the <laughs> coolest thing in this book. It's it's one of the things that got, like, all, a lot of stuff in this book is cool. I'm not going to take away mm-hmm. from that. But thank you guys for un, untying my knot here as I was like, man, I don't know how to deal with this. I really want to like it. What am I missing? And you gave me that. But now it makes more sense because when you add the reflection or Francis is not understanding, if some great horrible thing happened in the past, which is all we can count on, with the McNett mm-hmm. here. Roll it forward. If they believe they have a dark, evil, seated thing inside them that existed as an oral history or an actual history, and when you get to their bloodline, the, the, the Nemesine, who very much yep. can confirm if this happened or not by tasting your blood, mm-hmm. what if it's true? Well, right now, we can kind of say it probably was because you have the Kaibat, or Kaibat, however you pronounce it, or Egyptian-based, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you have this like disjointed reflection. Now, I'm kind of getting behind it. Now I'm like, okay, here's what happened. This cat Akhenaten, this witch said, guess what? We all going to be dark. Let it in. And we're going to mm-hmm. see what happens. And that darkness, what if it's a situation where the more you let go and the more you ignore whatever this is, be it reflection or not, the more you lose of yourself. And now this explains Doe a bit as being an extreme case. You know, this guy's on the verge of he's, he's, he's something else. I dig it. I dig it a little bit. I appreciate that. Sorry, I had to interject there. I don't know what you guys think about that story, but I was like, I love that story. Yeah. This is this is one of the few things like that that like. Well, we we've kind of heard this story before. They planted the seeds for this one in the in the Kai beat uh, history back in yeah. Bloodlines: The Hidden. But they also, I, I also love that they did this. So the the cult of Seth uh, or Set continued on right both in the kai beat and we already mentioned the cult of seth the cult of phoenix didn't go away either that's one of the hunter factions and hunter the vigil so in and in between the two right i think more in the the hunter write-up uh there's there's still some relationship between them like ones ones are the protector during the day still the other ones uh fight these like extra mineral uh cthulhu-esque things at night and i i love that idea that that's still continuing on I think it's great because I also like the mentality through in that culture piece. Why did they let him do it? Uh, he's the pharaoh. Yeah, I was like, uh, "That's a duh, right?" He's like, "Get rid of these gods. <laughs> Sun god is it? I'm in. I'm the dude. Then let me be the dude." And then he just did what he did. He was gonna say no to him. You didn't tell Pharaoh no. That just didn't happen. No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> just never. Not even a little bit. 
right? That's how it went down. But we hate the Pharaoh. You better keep that to you. Don't ever tell Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. And that's <laughs> that's that's how you do it. But and and there's other cool things in here. But uh, since I'm on a roll and we're kind of there anyway, I'm gonna slip this through the door. We mentioned other bloodlines. There's one in here mm-hmm. that I read, mm-hmm. and, I, and other than the Nemesine, I thought were cool, right? They were the Augurs of Rome. We we heard about a little bit too. Feeding through the blood and getting the exact depiction of the memories of what actually happened to an elder or to a vampire. That's dope. Yep. And it's dope not for what you think. It's great to get those memories and they're known for that. It's for what really they're known for. They're the, they're, they're the ones who determine what history is. Mm-hmm. Because you will they're never know. They're living libraries. Right. You will never know otherwise. So you better be real nice to them if you don't want them to kind of mess with your thoughts. Pretty cool. And then we took a turn. <laughs> Where we took a turn, and if you look at it, my notes you're smiling about it. They're called the Norvegi. Yeah. Right? The Norvegi, I'm looking at them, I'm like, wow, it's a savage group. What's going on? I said, what's with the... Weird. It's a picture that looks kind of Marvel-esque. And hold that thought. And uh, why I'm saying it is because if you look at Morbius the Living Vampire, and I just start describing the Norvegi, right? They're a clan that doesn't have fangs. They have to feed mm-hmm. by alternate means. And the alternate means is bony protrusions that can grow from their body, and those can impale people with great pain, and, and they struggle, but that's how they get their blood. And that's how it goes. Do you know who else, folks, has that ability in the Marvel Universe to know it's not Morbius the Living Vampire, but it relates to him because there was a subway vampire killer in Morbius the Living Vampire, and who it was was no, none other than a guy named Bloodbath. Bloodbath. That's an amazing name. <laughs> it is. Bloodbath is a Marvel <laughs> villain that was only there for the comic it was written in, and uh, Mordecai Kovac. And what it is is that he's the son of a, of, of a Russian uh, phlebotomist who was a scientist trying to find a way to cure his son from this blood ailment that he had. Very similar to Morbius, right, and what he tried to do. And he had came to, he'd come to New York, escaped Russia to be, and that's what he said because of the time, he escaped Russia to get here to use the research of Morbius to try to figure out a way to cure his son, but of course he couldn't get it. And his son grew extreme, and he built this super suit for him to wear. And guess how his son fed, folks? That's right. Bony protrusions came out of his wrist and his chest that enabled him to slam his body and his super strength in his berserker ways into victims and feed from them. Now I'm going to say the Norvegi. Remember what the Norvegi are known for, being badass berserkers that tear through their opponents, and they don't have fangs, just like Bloodbath, and they're vampires, just like Bloodbath, and they feed by using mm-hmm. bony protrusions. And I went, this is the first direct ripoff that I've seen that I'm actually going to sit here and go, shame. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> just shame. shame. Just shame. I love them. Just I shame. love this bloodline. Absolutely. Shame. They've got some great, they've got some like, all right, nicknames, right? Like uh, most people call them knives. Other people call them, you know, scum or filth. I always called them the spiky boys. But uh, <laughs> be- <laughs> beyond that, jokes aside, I, I do, I do love these guys a lot. These are, these are not what I would have expected from uh, Maquette, right? They kind of like buck that norm because they are, they are bruisers they are hardcore like there there's some story about them right like uh in in their section on the bloodline where it's this other guy talking about it's like yeah this as munderson dude he's really weird but the prince keeps like paying him and like sending him to do stuff i tried to follow him once and he went into this building and like four other dudes went in there like 30 minutes later he came out and he was fine except that his clothes were torn as crap like there were holes everywhere but he was he was absolutely fine it's the weirdest thing so so apparently, though, what are we establishing here? You're either a gang girl if you're from Scandinavia, or you're an inbred uh, maquette bloodline that savages people with bony protrusions, and all you know is how uh-huh. to berserk. Weird. Not, not only right? that, not only bony protrusions, they can shoot them. Their, their fifth uh-huh. dot power uh-huh. is my favorite of all time. It's erupting quills. They're just like undead porcupines. If porcupines so, can shoot out spiky bits. So we got low-hanging fruit for Brennan. When it comes to a standard for what she would have had described a cultural piece of, of fear, nightmarish horror, right? Uh, because here's here's what I get from it where I was like, okay, fine, okay, so I get this bloodlines out here, let it go. They go a step further, don't they? They decide to say that they have don't worry, they have a ghoul. They have a ghoul family specifically that follows around uh-huh. right in this book. They're from Iceland uh-huh. and they're also inbred. And they have a problem. Uh-huh. They're inbred barely surviving out there, so either they're 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 in your small town living in poverty or they're outside of these mines that do this other weird wacky shit and all they do is stare at you like the children of the corn and and want to do bad stuff to you because you know what they are hardy and disease free i sat here and went you mean bradovich yeah 
Is that what you're trying to say? Like we couldn't let it go? Like, come on. And and that's and hey, I'm not gonna I'll stand on that hill. To me, I was like, this is such a non difference that we were reaching. But at this point, I think we have like what fifty different bloodlines or whatever it is for Requiem. This is how, we this got is, a lot. This is a sign that you're when you're starting to repeat and you don't catch where you're repeating, or worse, the first time I'm seeing where you're breaking the MCU universe. You're like plucking out. Don't worry, there's more bloodbath over here, and they could do more. I was like, okay, all right, I'll get behind that. But it's the one, uh, it's the one chuckle moment. I always knew there'd be a Mexico by night. I'd get to see somewhere in Room. I'm just, I'm just pleased. <laughs> oh, you mean shadows, shadows over Mexico? It's, they got a whole book. It's not just, it's just not vampires. It's everything, baby. Well, well, no, they might, but it's got to be written better than, than what we saw, right? There was some jump the shark moments, as we call it, where we're playing vampire mm-hmm. and like you're reading it and you read about McTalon, you read about some crazy stuff. I'm not gonna bring that book up. We've reviewed it, but when you read it, you're like, wow, that's wild. You read this and you go, uh huh. <laughs> like I always do this when I get a, when I get a clan book I go I expect there to be an origin an origin mm-hmm. of what we might play as template that we can all enjoy and so our creativity comes from take a bit of the template mix some of your own stuff in and boom you have your own unique character but this book's like not enough snowflake for you wait there's more you did you didn't like the Kaibut alone how about the other McKeb bloodline still not good for you how about these guys ever want to just spike your friends you <laughs> ever want a difficulty feeding and a guaranteed reason you ran a town with pitchforks and torches? We got just the guys for you. You ever want to walk into a room or to a group and say, yeah, I'm part of your group. What do you do? I'm here to kill people violently and with low education and issues paying for a bus pass. Really? Alright, I guess it's not... You know, sure, but we're, we're playing in, like, New York. You don't have to be that way. You can get hired. And, and you... <laughs> nah, I'm totally good. I'm completely riffing on it, but it's only because, and I'll tell you, it's serendipity. Here I am going, I'm stoked, I'm a Morbius fan from back in the day, trying to rekindle, this might have been the origin of why I like Vampire, and I come across ye issue, Midnight Suns, and here's Bloodbath, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Mm. Then I start reading this book and go, Imminent Bitter. Hang on a second. Mm-hmm. Hang on a second. <laughs> and going back there going, okay, it's homage to it. At the end of the day, I'm just riffing. I don't blame anybody for taking inspiration to make something up. They are unique. And by the way, that's how you stay unique. You sometimes stand on the shoulders of, shoulders of giants to, to improve on an idea. And it's an alternate way to feed. I truly am not butthurt. But some of you might be. And that's how you get over it. You just realize, hey, not your cup of tea. Might be for someone else. There it is. But all in all... That's going to bring us to the... Uh, we're going to end on that for the maquette. I understand that for a lot of you, when you re- hear this, it might be, oh, maquette book? You mean where Bob's, Bob has to be explained how to read a book? Yes. We knew that there was going to be one eventually I was going to need help with. And uh, right. this, is, this is definitely one of them. And to that end, I hope that in my confusion that I got sorted out, that those of you who might have been on the fence about them, give a second look at the maquette clan book. Definitely get a second crack at playing them. I know I certainly mm-hmm. am. In fact, my next character is going to be one, just so I can definitely open up and, and apply what I think I learned now. And uh, I think they're a lot more enjoyable for it. To be honest, this was my favorite clan book. I remember when I read it and rereading it again. This actually was my favorite clan book. And the reason why is because everyone has a flavor of what they like, and that's why vampires so awesome, right? That regardless of edition, it's always awesome because there's something that calls to you. And when you think about... When I'm thinking about you know, the Deva that we've read and it was such a great book and the Gangrilla and Adventure have their own way. But the maquette, what I liked about it a lot was that there's, how do you, and I guess it's the challenge of role-playing them is like when you're so empty inside and you keep looking outward and every one of your permutations of no maquette is ever alike for the most part, obviously outside of a bloodline. But it just, it struck me that it was like, how do you role-play that? How hard may or may not be? And to me, the way I took it as a player and as the person who read it for the second time around, I thought it was interesting because it's like a reflection of Jungian theory, how you have your your your, your waking self and your shadow self. Yeah. And to see that shadow self cover you and follow you around, how do you deal with it only to find out it's really you? Um, but I, that's that's what I took away from it. I loved, I liked reading it. It was my favorite. It's just mm. that parental figure in me. I'll be whooping a shit on my shadow when I act up. How many pizzas did you Count order us? I broke now because of what? Oh, you, I'm glad you can't go nowhere. Can you guys, I ain't going out tonight. <laughs> well, I'm fitting to deal with this reflection. You know, give it the up down and have people look at me. Bob, are you serious? Oh, I will role play with myself in the corner, beating the shit out of my own reflection. I need your help. Uh huh. 
Bob just grabs a hammer and breaks every mirror in the house, and you're you're gonna sit like this for the next fucking week, and I'll get one one mirror. All right, you can be over there in the corner. And you know what you're gonna watch? The Trump inauguration. That's it. About I recorded that just for you. <laughs> Stuff to do, right? But um, with that, I want to thank you folks for listening. Um, I definitely appreciate this, guys. And uh, let us know what you think. Your thoughts and everything else. Reach out on many ways that we mentioned in recordings. I won't beat you with again uh, right here. And thank you, folks. We'll catch you next time. Take it easy, folks. See ya. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you like what you heard and want to support us, please share it with others or leave a review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.